Okay, are we on? Can you hear? Is this, is this on now? Okay, good. Thank you, Katie, so much. Um, good morning, ladies. My name is Kathy Gurley. I'm a child of the Most High God and of the God who is God and there is no other. And with his help, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. I thank you for the opportunity that we have in freedom to be here, to study your word, to speak it boldly, to hear your truths, to allow your Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts. Father, we do not take this for granted, and we thank you so much that you've put us in this very privileged place this morning. I pray for each of the women here that whatever struggles or hassles they may have had this morning, that they will be able to put them behind. If there are people who are hurting and need a listening ear, I pray that you would provide that for them this morning. If there are those who want to rejoice and just praise your name for what you are doing in their lives, may you give them that opportunity. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher here this morning, and may, may you just speak your truths to each one of our hearts. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have a new memory verse this morning, beginning this week, and so let's say this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Deuteronomy 6 Four through seven. I want to read you the next two verses, eight and nine, which are, we are not memorizing now, but which closely follow this theme. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when you came in this morning, along with your notes, you received a handout concerning this set of verses titled The Most Solemn Mandate, it concerns both the privilege and the responsibility that we have to teach God's Word to our children. Since it is part of our lesson this week, I wanted to share this article with you, so I hope you'll have time to look at that later on. In our lesson today, we are looking at Deuteronomy chapter 4. The Holy Spirit addresses the issue of teaching our children twice through Moses in this lesson when he speaks to the people of Israel. In verse 9, he says, The things which your eyes have seen make them known to your sons and grandsons. And then in verse 10, God reminds them through Moses, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. As a way of encouragement to any of you who may be teaching or encouraging children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, let me 
share with you a little story of God's faithfulness. Years ago, when we started to homeschool, we were teaching our children obedience. And when we got to obedience to parents, we had them memorize Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, part of which says, honor your father and mother, um, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. So we discussed those promises with our children. And then that very Sunday in the Indianapolis Star, in the Sunday Star, on the lifestyle section, the entire bottom front page was an article about the oldest living woman in the state of Indiana. I think she was 103 or 104. They interviewed her and they asked her, why have you lived so long? And she said, because I obeyed my mother. So that was a great object lesson to our children. God's word is true, and he is very faithful. It's a gift of grace that God keeps reminding the Israelites to teach his ways to their children and their grandchildren so that as his mercy and grace can be remembered, they will encourage the next generation as they continue to model him to the nations around them. There's quite a bit of parallelism in this passage today. You may have noticed as you studied that some topics that were listed maybe in a few verses near the beginning came up again later in the passage. So today a lot of the sets we're going to examine together. We'll read some verses near the beginning and then we'll find the parallel one closer to the end. Now not, it's not perfect, like verse 2 doesn't have a parallel, but um, here's, there's a little chart here, and this is in your handout so you don't have to copy it down, but you can see um, for example, the first one, obey God and you will live long in the land that God is giving to them. So that, we'll see that's in verse 1 and then it's again in verse 40. And then hold fast to the Lord, he's the true God. That's in 3 and 4 and then again in 31 and so on. And so the, this nation has such a great God. We can hear God's voice out of the fire. And then finally the warnings. Um, so those are all the ones that we'll have parallels for. So the first section we're going to look at starts with verse 1. Obey, long and live long in, obey God and live long in the land. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. So Moses encourages the people to listen and to do certain things. Heed the rules God's giving them and then take the land that God's giving them. Listen. Don't forget. The statutes concern the worship of God and the rules deal with men towards other men. So this encompasses both tables of the law, so to speak. The first of the commandments regarding the people's relationship to God and then the last six, how the people were to relate to each other. In short, all of the law. So as they listen and do, then God covenants with them that they will live and possess the land that God is giving to them. So then the parallel thoughts are down in verse 40. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. 
So the keep here in verse 40 encompasses that listen and do from verse 1. And the promise here is enlarged to more than simply life, but to well-being for them and their children and longevity in the land. Verse 2, changing the words of God. I'm going to get my little laser pointer here and make sure I have it facing the right direction. Some of you may remember. Didn't always do real well with that. Okay, verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So here we have this little chart. We read in our lesson this week from Revelation about not adding to or taking away from the words of God. So if we add to on the left, so here's words of men down here, and you see if we put those up to where it says God's word, then what we're doing is we're saying we know as much as God. And Eve did this. Um, Think about in Genesis 3, she said not only were they to not eat the fruit, but also she added they were to not touch it, which God had not said. On the other hand, we can take away from God's word um, and take out whatever we don't like or perhaps um, through incorrect teaching or explaining away hard passages in the Bible. You may remember a couple of weeks ago how Laura taught us about God's authority. He's the one who wrote the book. He's the capital C and we're the beloved little C's and God wants us to keep it that way. So now verses 3 and 4. Hold fast to the Lord. He is the true God. Immediately after this command not to add or detract from God's word is a reference to Baal Peor. The people sinned and they worshiped false gods, breaking God's law, which was his covenant with them. So Moses states in verses 3 and 4 that all the rebels from that episode are gone. They are dead. But every one of them who held fast to God, they're still standing there. They're listening to Moses. They're still alive and with them. So God keeps his word. Three times in this chapter, Moses reminds um, Israel of God's covenant with them. And now in the parallel verse in this section, in verse 31, Moses says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So Moses reiterates to them that if they hold fast to God, as many of them did back at Baal Peor, then they too would remain alive. And here in verse 31, Moses promises God's people, God will never forget his covenant with them. So God is the faithful covenant-keeping God. He's the Lord, and there is no other, and he will make good on his promises. Now we look at Israel as a nation. This nation has such a great God. Moses speaks to the people starting in verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me so that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Did you hear great nation three times? David Guzik writes, God's intention was that through Israel's obedience to the covenant, he would exalt them among the nations and make them a witness. This was so that foreigners, like the Queen of Sheba who visited Solomon at the height of his blessing, would see that the Lord God of Israel was indeed the Lord God. Observing these laws would show God's wisdom and godly character. Israel's insight was often praised as a nation, and their laws were often used as models for others to copy. Nations took note that Israel's God was always ready and eager to hear from them at any time, and they also observed the goodness and the righteousness of their laws. Now then, later in the passage, in verse, starting in verse 32, Moses says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since that, the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard? and live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? So here we see that Yahweh is upheld as a model of the God of all the other gods, superior to every one of them. This great thing that Moses refers to is God's choosing of Abraham, setting him and his family apart, the redemption of Israel from Egypt through the Exodus, and giving the law at Mount Sinai. For all these reasons, Yahweh is exalted as higher, more powerful, more wise and righteous than any other God. So Israel is the great nation. Not because they were great in size, nor military strength, power, or wealth, but because Israel's God, Yahweh, is the great God. Listen to these verses from Isaiah as God is speaking to Israel. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. The Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. One of the main motivations of Israel obeying the law is not solely for their own deliverance, but to be a blessing. Israel would be a visible example to the other nations because of the nearness of their God and of his wise and just provisions for their society. There will be a universal recognition of Yahweh's blessing on Israel and therefore recognition of Yahweh's own name. Israel was shown all these things, not so they could keep them all for themselves, but so that they would know that the Lord is God. Besides them, there, him, there is none other, and to be a light and a witness to the other nations. So to reinforce this um, idea, I want to read a few other scriptures to you. All the references are all on your sheet, so you don't have to copy them all down. Just listen as I read. Starting in Joshua 4. 
The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples of earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. David's victory over Goliath in 1 Samuel was to bring glory to Yahweh in the eyes of the world. David says to Goliath, This day the Lord will deliver you in, up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem in 1 Kings. Also, Concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays here in heaven and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is none else. In Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Now that first part is probably familiar to you. That was part of the ironic blessing, ironic meaning from Aaron, the high priest, the high priestly blessing, be gracious to us and bless us and make God make his face shine upon us. But now it's turned outward for blessing to all the nations. And lastly in Isaiah, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. The refrain, I am the Lord your God, in Deuteronomy 4, our lesson for today, with the repetition of, there is no other, strengthens the uniqueness of Yahweh. God wants their lives to reflect his holy character so that the nations will see this character reflected in Israel's behavior and will come to know that he is God, there is no other. And truly, if you think about it, that applies to us today, too, as we are the witnesses to those around us for, God to, for people to see God through us. Okay, hear God's voice out of the fire. Another parallel section. Moses reminds God's people how they heard God's voice from the fire at Mount Sinai. where they heard and saw thunder and lightning flashes, the trumpet, and saw the smoking mountain, beginning in verse 11 in Deuteronomy 4. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. I really wanted to have videos of lightning and thunder and fire and a ram's horn and loud trumpets blowing in the background so that we could try and imagine what that must have been like for Israel. Of course, there wasn't enough time to do all that, but you can try 
and envision what that must have been like for the Israelites. And um, so that in the fear that those people would have had before this awesome and powerful God. So here, the parallel verses are in 33 and 36. God lets them hear his voice, see his great fire, hear his words from the fire, but note, there's no image of God. John Calvin says that God is the sole and proper witness of himself, and his glory is corrupted whenever any form is attached to him. Think about how we feel if a picture of us is displayed that is extremely unflattering. Well, maybe some of you are photogenic, but for me, this happens. I react. Um, I want to step in and tear it up and not let people see it. So God, the one who is holy, 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 is desecrated when he who is an invisible spirit is portrayed in a visual material form. He who is boundless and unfathomable and the source of life is made to appear as a finite, lifeless, man-made, pitiful block of rock or wood. He alone bears the right to say how he may be depicted. God is so incredibly holy, so awesome and high above anything we can ever imagine that he cannot have us make any type of an image to portray him because nothing man-made could begin to come close to him in character or in likeness. So then, of course, this follows right into warnings of idolatry and what will happen if they break the covenant. Um, so now let's look. Um, we see, here we see God's order in creation. Um, let me get my little button here. First, um, light and God made light and then he made the waters below and the waters above and then the heavenly bodies to, yeah, I guess I didn't make this very well, I don't think. Okay, here's the waters. The waters below, the waters above, and then land and vegetation. And so then, after that, day four, God makes the heavenly bodies to give light. Then he puts, makes the fish to go into the waters below. He makes the birds to go into the waters above. The land creatures go live on the land, and then the highest pinnacle of God's creation is man made in God's image to live on this land as well. And so then what happens? If we look at verse 15, we'll come back to this picture in a minute. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So the sun, moon, and stars were to be serving us to help us with time and days and seasons and all that. 
Jump down to verse 23. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has made with you, and for, make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has given you. Moses gives several warnings here. Watch yourselves. Beware. Take care. The repetition, if you remember, we've talked about this before, repetition is the way that they did bold and highlighting and underlining. This is, really increases the strength of the warnings. Notice also now here how the idols, uh, I guess it's not working, um, the idols are listed in the reverse order. You see, the first one was in the likenesses of male and female, which was man that God created at the very end of his very good creation. And then it lists in the idols, animals, and then winged birds, fish in the water, and then finally sun, moon, and stars. So the Deuteronomy list begins with the highest of creation and descends downward, ultimately then to the heavenly bodies giving homage to created things leads to an upside-down world, distorted from our Heavenly Father's original intent. Everything is backwards from God's very good beginnings. Then Moses addresses the consequences of Israel's breaking of the covenant, starting down in verse 25. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So these idols that they will serve obviously cannot speak either, as opposed to Yahweh, whose powerful voice they heard out of the fire. So this section ends in irony that Israel's punish, punishment for service to idols will lead to them serving the work of other men's hands in a distant land. Rather than long life, they will perish quickly, and the nation that was to be as numerous as the stars of the heaven would now be few in number. The nations to whom they were to be a witness will now witness their devastation. So that's the bad news. But God, listen to verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So we see the contrasts. Israel will forget the covenant, but God will not forget the covenant. You will make idols and perish quickly, but God will not destroy you nor fail you. You will be scattered in few in number and driven out by your idolatry, but you will return to the Lord and obey his voice. 
God counteracts every one of their idolatrous pursuits with mercy and grace, and he's still doing it today. Even though we may consider ourselves so much more civilized and refined and above such barbaric acts as visible idols, I would challenge each of us to consider what little gods we may have in our lives, not so unsophisticated as a bronze calf or in West Africa where we recently saw crocodile worship, but could it be our jobs, our husbands, our children, or grandchildren, our pets, our appearance, our fitness, the praise of others around us, the way we use our time, or dozens of others. What do I have in my life, what do you have, that takes more time, effort, and or money than we spend with or on the Lord our God? Now we come to the best part of this lesson. The Lord, he is God. There is no other. It's best because it's nearly all simply the words of God. May they encourage each one of you. In verse 35, we read, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. You probably noticed that that's the title of our lesson today. In verse 39, you've already learned it. So it was your first memory verse this year. So here it is up here. Say it aloud with me. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Okay, and that's from Deuteronomy 4.39. These parallel Isaiah 43.10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There is no Savior besides me. So here's a question. Are other, do other gods exist for real or not? Are they something or are they nothing? Richard Bauckham makes these observations. What Israel is able to recognize about Yahweh from his acts for Israel that distinguishes Yahweh from the gods of the nations is that he is the God or the God of gods. This means primarily that he has unrivaled power throughout the cosmos. The earth, the heavens, and the heaven of heavens belong to him. By contrast, the gods of the nations are impotent non-entities who cannot protect and deliver even their own peoples. Though they are called gods, the other gods do not really deserve the term because they are not effective divinities acting with power in the world. Yahweh alone is the God with supreme power. So in relation to Yahweh, the gods are nothing. Yahweh alone is the God. He is a completely different essence from them. On the other hand, the false gods are something to those who worship them, and they do exist in the experiences of their followers. These verses from later in Deuteronomy echo this theme of God, the only God. And again, these are all listed on your handout. Starting in 1014, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. 
The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I want to read to you about the character of this God from the book of Isaiah. Please just listen. These verses are all listed on your handout if you want to look them up later. But now just hear these attributes and qualities of our incredible God. These are all taken from chapters 40 through 45. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? To whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with him? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your, high on, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. In chapter 41, who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. In 42, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, and I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, my, by name. You are mine. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. And I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? In 44, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Do not tremble and do not be afraid, have I not long since denounced it to you and declared it? You are my witnesses. 
Is there any God besides me? Is there any other rock? I know of none. And lastly, in chapter 45, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. In conclusion, we have seen several concepts today. God cares deeply about the way we educate our children, and he insists that it's our responsibility to teach his words so that they are deeply embedded in their hearts, and he will faithfully help us as we do it. As Israel listened and carried out God's commands, they were promised a marvelous land and long life in that land. God desires us to highly esteem his word, never adding to it or removing what we may not like. God is a covenant-keeping God, and though he may have to punish, he will always be faithful, even when his people disobey, rebel, and reject him. Israel was not God's sole concern. His intent was to have Israel be a blessing to all the nations on earth and a witness to his character, care, and provision. God spoke to his people out of the fire, but they never saw any form. God can never have his majesty displayed in the form of any man-made object. When we create idols for ourselves, it always in some way distorts God's very good creation. For Israel's breaking of God's covenant, rejecting their loving and covenant-keeping God, there would certainly be consequences, including exile to distant lands. The good news is that God will never forget his covenant, nor his people, and he will always welcome repentant rebels like me and like you. Finally, the Lord, he is God. There is no other. We heard the many words from Isaiah to describe our amazing, awesome, incredible God. No words of my finite mouth would ever be adequate. So I will simply close with these words of God, and then Katie has a final song for us to close. Deuteronomy 4, verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. There is none above. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You are 
You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God, and there is none above. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's what you are. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. Amen. You're dismissed.